everybody. This is the Super Tight Podcast. Welcome, my name is Woody. On today's episode, we got Roscoe Soul Train, my partner in crime. I've been making music with Ross for years, like essentially ever since I can remember. And that's kind of what we talk about in this episode. We talk about our history. We've known each other since we were in preschool, essentially before preschool. And uh, we were in the talent show together when we were like in second grade. So it's been a long time coming. It went from that to sharing the stage, playing Coachella and making a lot of the music that you've heard from me. He's been a part of it. So we talk about our journey and where we've been, where we're going. I hope you guys enjoy. I'm back at it. I was uh, I was gone. I was at Pharrell's music festival called Something in the Water. I was working on that on that show, but I'm back. I got some cool guests coming up. Stay tuned in and enjoy this episode with Roscoe Soul Train. Hey, a lot of my anxiety comes from caffeine. Like if I get the shakes, it's I just like fall and get panic attacks. Like if I don't eat a lot during the day and I have coffee in the morning. Like, you know those days where you're so busy that you don't eat until like four or something or two yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Because you have a meeting in the morning and you have to work or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Yeah. I just freak the fuck out. Well, it's because your blood sugar is going all wild and wonky. That's why. Yeah. And my and caffeine just gives me the shakes. Does it really? It doesn't give you the shakes. I mean, you can drink a well, pot of coffee and go to sleep. But like, you're like super sensitive to like everything yeah, from sugar I to... Um, anything yep i just noticed a lot of that like a lot of the shit that goes in in my body like i know i notice a lot of it it's weird but i wish i did but i wish i could drink coffee because i feel like coffee is my only vice right now i don't drink i don't Mm -hmm. smoke weed yep don't do any drugs i don't do shit i eat i eat donuts occasionally and yeah you do i you know drink coffee and i feel like if i cut coffee out Mm -hmm. you don't have anything I don't have anything to hold on to besides well, junk food every now and again. Yeah, yeah. And my pro- I go through similar kind of weird problems where, uh, like, when I quit smoking weed, I thought, oh, cool, like, I need, I quit smoking weed because of anxiety. And it really did help, like, a lot. Yeah. So I got rid of that. And then when I moved here um, to Los Angeles, I started losing, I felt like I was, everything was out of control, like, spiraling out of control, like, my life. Everything was feeling like my money, all of it was just fucked. And then... Was it fucked or was it just uncomfortable? It was totally different. I, I, my income went down to nothing. Everything just kind of went, just, I took my life and just put it into a blender. Yeah. And just, yeah, it was just very strange. So I went back to all my old eating habits, mm-hmm. which I was kind of floating around. I was doing... Not great, but doing better than I was um, in the in the past. But I noticed that, yeah, all the stress and all that stuff started really spiraling out of control. And then I just went right back to the eating habits, and I gained a shitload of weight when I moved here. Yeah, and I it caused it's it's been bad, and I haven't been able to I haven't been able to take it completely down. But I have been making better eating choices for sure. Like the last four months, I've gone like no sweets at all. Yeah, because I just good. go right down that path and I'm I'm done. Yeah. 
So it's interesting because you used to smoke a ton of weed. Smoke a ton of weed. Smoke a ton of cigarettes. Yeah, but then we. I think. I think you stopped smoking weed when you decided you were moving down here, or close to that point, right? Pretty close. Yeah, it was pretty close. I like. Had, so I wonder if that anxiety was from you knowing that you were going to move down here. Or no, it, like was, that. it, it was. It was continue. It was like a, it was something that I chose to ignore for a long time mm. because in the weed world, um, everybody thinks like, "Oh, weed helps you your anxiety. It helps all these things. It's great for you. It's like a miracle cure all." You know. Yeah. You rub the weed on your your <laughs> knee, and all of a sudden you have a super knee. It's just uh, I don't know if you you heard that, but hey. It's true. So I think that I always thought that my, I think that I always, um, my problem was is I, I believed that weed was, gonna, was helping everything in my life. When in actuality, I just felt like I was in some kind of fog and the anxiety just every time I'd take a bong load and go to work on something, I knew, I could feel my anxiety just ripping around. So I gave it up. I ha- I, there was no choice. I had to I had And then to stop. when you stopped smoking, the anxiety went away? Yeah, it did. Like, wow. Not like, obviously not completely, but a, a huge contributor to my anxiety was every time I'd smoke weed, my anxiety would just rip. And some people, like, they don't want to, when, they, when they're at parties, they don't like to smoke weed because the social anxiety. But for me, it was constantly. Every time I'd smoke weed, it would just give me wicked anxiety. Yeah. So I gave it up. Yeah. But it didn't matter because my substance abuse problems went from weed back to food. Huh. So I have no, in, my in, impulse control is all whacked out. And now it's, I'm trying to get my food back under wraps and I've been doing better. I need to find a balance, but I've been doing better with that. My coffee intake has stayed the same forever. And I don't know. I, I love coffee. It's, it's there's something about having like a warm beverage that makes me feel like more of a human. I guess it's weird. It's like it's just like drinking alcohol for me, almost in the way that how my brain associates with it. Like I can drink. I'm drinking matcha tea right now. Mm-hmm. There's which, a lot of caffeine, which, in which that, is caffeinated. Yeah, I think it's about half of the caffeine mm-hmm. of coffee. But it's like drinking a fucking non-alcoholic beer or something. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not the same. Like if I was drinking decaf coffee, mm-hmm. I it just seems pointless. Yeah, it's like drinking brown water. Right, what's warm the, brown water. What's the point? I don't love the taste of coffee necessarily. It's good, but I think I've learned to like it because of the stimulant. Yeah, of drinking it, like beer. Like beer doesn't taste great. Coors Light is fucking gross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, but people love beer though because it gives them a buzz. Yeah, but they love the taste of beer. I, it's an, I, I'm sure it's an acquired thing. Because I think it's an acquired thing. And the, the brews, are like all the micro brews, the people that really actually like the taste of beer, you know, they, they drink specialty brewed shit right. out there. I think it's, it's way more. There's fucking blueberries and all kinds of fucking shit in there. All that beer always tastes so gross to me. It's really bad. But I, I think I attribute all that gross, like the way beer tastes so gross to me is number one, I don't drink. But number two, I think that having like an intolerance to freaking gluten well, yeah, fucked me up. Like it just, the taste of it was just like, it just tasted like rotting. Yeah. Or my brain associated it with like rotting. It's gross. Really? Oh yeah. Like Weird. rotten. Like every, all beer to me tastes like bar rot. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> all beer smells like the hideaway. Ugh. The, hi- <laughs> the hideaway is like a really shitty bar where we're from in Northern California. 
I guess it's not that shitty, but mm. it's it's just kind of a bar, like a, a hole in the wall. I guess you would call yeah, it. Yeah, it's not <laughs> I, a place that I don't. I wouldn't want to go if I yeah. was like going out partying. I definitely wouldn't want to go to the hideaway. Um, Got a cool logo though. Yeah, cool sign. So what's up with your current situation here in Los Angeles? Cutting hair. Yeah, cutting hair. Looking for a uh, looking for somebody to to character design. <laughs> That's and making beats. Well, explain. Okay, so we'll start from the beginning. Uh, I've known Woody since. We were like two years old, and we started our first collaborative, quote-unquote collaborative, creative project together when we were six, where we, me, Woody, and George, who was a co-creator of the Goobers and still is working on our fucking project with us, we did a Beatles cover band where <laughs> I still remember the practice that we had in my, in my uh, living room, my parents' living room. And it was kind of like a an actual real band practice. Yeah, for sure. You know, even though we didn't play the instruments, it was our, we first, just, our first band practice. Yeah, and yeah. It, it really was. It's yeah. funny because it's really kind of how a band practice. Your mom still runs. has that tape. Who my mom does? She has to, right? Somebody's got that tape. I remember I saw the footage of that. Oh yeah, at your parents' house. Yes. So one of your parents either tossed it with a bunch of other tapes or something. Yeah. Or still has it. Yeah. I would love to see that. You had the moves, man. Did I? Oh yeah, you had the, he- the head going with the drums. I don't. I don't Woody remember was, that at Woody all. Woody was Ringo. Yeah, and I was, um, <laughs> I was like a, I think a, a fat, <laughs> a fat um, John Lennon, and I. It was so funny. I had this like red guitar, like fake red guitar, and I'm just up there on in the middle, and I'm just jerking this. <laughs> <laughs> like I just remember seeing the video. I'm just like, frank, 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 frank. Just sh- not emulating the playing style whatsoever. No, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, but I, it, I mean, hey, we were into it. It was fun. It was cool. So okay, going back. So we started doing creative projects way back then. So we've been buddies forever. Then uh, me and George, our other co-creator of the Goobers, which was the cartoon that we we created. Um, me and George were in a ska band together that I came into later. And the ska band played around Central and Northern California. The shows were fantastic. It was a really good time. The music was really good. There was a couple people in that band that were like hard, not even hard, soft musical geniuses, mm-hmm. you know, when we were kids. Um, and they kind of propelled the band into like doing shows all the time and it, we we had a lot of fun there was a lot of people at those shows and the ska scene in the in the the mid to late 90s in northern california was amazing yeah super supportive um all inclusive it was like a spin-off of the punk scene kind of right no not really or was uh, it, it was its own thing a spin-off of ska well there was there was always there was always both scenes going on. Yeah. There was kind of a divide there because the punkers were too punk and the ska kids were too ska. And I definitely got, I caught wind of that vibe and I felt, I always liked the traditional in two-tone ska like movements. Mm-hmm. And I stayed away from, I didn't like the punk um, scene just because like like punk and metal and even hip hop, you're never... Hard enough. Yeah. Things are changing in hip hop. They've changed big time in, in hip hop, yeah. which I was talking about the other day. But we'll get to that. Um, so yeah, I was definitely on more of the ska end of things. We had this band, ska band. We played. It was called Mainstream Trend. 
it was a really good band. We played a lot. We broke up, and then me and George were fucked up at a party, really fucked up. And we heard these people rapping, which we had started rapping just as kind of like a fuck you. This is really before Eminem. Mm -hmm. Like the only rappers that were like white guys were, she's Insane Clown Posse. Insane Clown Posse and... Who, who you had had a big influence on you and George. I mean, to this and, day, I feel like they still... And it was like the... Do. Avant-garde, um, who's the dude that did Jump Around? Oh, um, Everlast? No. House of Pain. House of Pain. Yeah. I mean, same thing, but... Right. But yeah, like shit like that, like there was really no... There was no real... White, white dudes rapping other than Vanilla Ice and Snow and shit. Yeah, and Insane Clown Posse. So we thought... Coming out of the ska band, what a cooler what what a cool thing to do. We've always loved rap music since we were kids. Let's start rapping. And our friend Dan Recob, who doesn't do music anymore, lives in San Diego now. He had these these like what electro tribe machines, which were these, yeah, it was like a drum machine and a synth. Yeah, they were really basically. cool. Yeah. You could program them, and they had all these like they were all pre-programmed for like techno beats. Yeah. So we slowed down the beats and made them like super dark rap songs yeah and had all these like murder rap songs when we were kids they were, that's, that's what we were listening to at the time yeah, oh yeah because uh, we, we grew up i mean you were listening to icp yeah and you were listening to grave diggers uh, brother lynch young brother lynch yeah and all the hardcore shit mm -hmm. and I, I was listening to three six mafia and mm -hmm. no limit and i was listening to brother lynch too and yeah. like local rap up there x-rated was kind of hardcore yeah x-rated in prison still yeah, I thought he got out. I mean, maybe, maybe. But RBL Posse, like, they, I mean, not that shit was super dark, but most of the stuff was trying to be really hard. Yeah, totally. What influenced us when we were kids? Yeah, because it was really a big fuck you to our parents. You know, absolutely. Yeah, real angsty. It was our version of punk rock. Yeah, it was, and it was punk rock, especially in our community too. Mm -hmm. Nobody was doing that shit. Yeah. So me and George went to this party. We were. I was really fucked up. I I had um. I had accidentally, I thought we were smoking opium. We were not smoking opium. I found out later on that we were smoking black tar heroin. Holy and, shit. Dude. Yeah, did I tell you about that? I, yeah, I yeah. think you did, yeah. So we, were, we had smoked black tar heroin earlier on that day, and oh boy, we were, especially myself, I was faded. So we walk into this party, we hear these people rapping in the back room, and me and Woody, we, we had went to separate high schools in the same town. So there was a brief moment where we didn't really, we didn't talk for a, a, a small period of time, maybe like I think a when year. We, I think when we hit junior high, we kind of just broke off. Kind of though, we we met up like, a few times. Yeah. After that, but there was we like weren't a super close and no in junior high. No, because we were at doing different eighth, stuff. At least like eighth grade, we weren't because I was yeah. I was into sports and you guys were doing the band thing. Kinda, we were. Me and George were doing hockey and you were doing hockey, basketball. Yeah. yeah. We just kind of split, split off. Split off, yeah, because we were getting more into band stuff though. Because we yeah. were George was starting mainstream trend kind of and yeah. i was starting to play bass so our, our we were kind of splitting off a little bit but regardless we went to this party and then we heard these guys rapping me and george walk into the back room and we had already had all these pre-written rhymes well it just so happened that woody was in there <laughs> rapping with his homies and there was all these beats that were the instrumentals that were cool so we started spitting these pre-written raps I like vaguely remember this. This was it was awesome. Yeah, it was, was so cool. 
<laughs> and we, it was funny because we all had our like we we had knew each other's backup lines and shit. I remember so. when you guys came in because we were just freestyling. Yeah, and I, I remember when you guys came in and started doing all the written shit. And yeah, I just, just kind of like rolled my eyes a little bit and was like, all right. But we didn't even really freestyle. We literally went from being in a ska band to just writing raps. Well, I know, but we were. It was just a thing. We were yeah. in there, quote unquote, freestyling. That was, and that was the first time. And then time. you guys come in and you're backing each other up on yeah. vocals, and we're like, all right, these motherfuckers are. <laughs> yeah. And you're spitting these written rhymes while we're freestyling. Coming off the top of the head. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody he, rapping at a party. Really? Yeah, that was the first time. Weird. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Weird. And then it became like a thing. Oh, yeah, it was a big thing. Yeah, we. Yeah. So, and that's oh. when George really started like embracing freestyling. And yeah. And just became, well, who's he like? Cassidy? Yeah, he, he, loves, he still yeah. loves Cassidy. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember him like downloading fucking Cassidy freestyles on LimeWire. So cool. so we we just we were like, oh shit, like this is so cool. Like our our buddy Woody is here and he's rapping and we're rapping. Let's get together and do some shit. Yeah. Then I found out you made all those beats. Yeah. And it was like, oh, this is wonderful. Like let's let's party. So we started <laughs> We started the rap group, and it was just a super thugging ass rap By group. By the way, I think those beats were made on a Casio. There was no quantizing. There, there was nothing. I think it was a Casio keyboard that could do like three or four tracks, and then I had a tape machine. So I would make the drum track and play the drum track for three minutes and then play an instrument over that and then rewind it and then record like so i had two, two tape decks yeah, yeah basically so it was just all over the place i'm sure and had a ton of static because of the going from tape deck to tape deck and shit it was it was like super super lo-fi lo-fi oh dude. yeah yeah can you imagine doing something like that now i low-key almost would yeah i've, I've actually thought about uh-huh i think all the stuff that from our upbringing and our childhood is not coming back, but I think it it'll just always exist. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because the, the internet, internet just yeah. kind of flattened everything. It did. Nothing nothing there, dies. Yeah, exactly. So it's it just gets reinterpreted it reinterpreted as strange like in this weird, strange way. Yeah. Well when you grow up too, you have these things where I just bought this flip camera. Yeah. I have a VHS tape player right. in my room. Yeah. I have a fucking Game spray Boy. painted Game Boy right uh-huh. here. And you know what I mean? So you you kind of just the things that you go through when you're from twelve to eighteen or twelve to twenty or something mm-hmm. they kind of just live in you forever. That like it is you. you Realistically, know? I don't yeah. think my my sensibilities in art and and style and anything have changed since I was five. Really? I still see kids wearing Spider Man shoes, and I say that shit is tight. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We used to have these Spider Man shoes when we were five and. I don't I remember, remember that. I, I remember. I remember in kindergarten being like, "Well, oh, those are so cool." But I, no, my, none, none of that shit has changed. I still, so then you saw you at the party. I'm pretty sure yeah. I, I remember whose house that. I think I remember whose house that was. But we linked up at the party, and then you guys were like tight. And then I came over to to Percy's garage. Yeah. Percy was this guy that we used to hang out with. He was a total weird cat, and his mom and dad would let us kind of run the garage so we would just get fucked up we could in there. do whatever the fuck we yeah. wanted to in the garage we could smoke at, tons at, of cigarettes and we were 17 16 17 i think i was yeah 17 yeah yeah so we could just go over there and do whatever get drunk get fucked up get fucked up smoke weed mm-hmm. do mushrooms smoke cigarettes do whatever yeah it didn't matter everything was on the table it was fine but 
on top of that, make music. Yeah, we were making a ton so of music. We had keyboards over there mm-hmm. and equipment and stuff. Yeah, we did. We had the task. Percy had that task cam. Yep. Four track recorder. Yep. Yeah. So everything was right there for us, and we we did utilize it to, you know, we beat the shit out of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That drum kit, that sunlight drum kit in the corner. Yeah. So we started making music there, and we started evolving away from just our hard influences of insane clown posse, mainly because Woody really was was the driving force of just saying, like, why are we trying to emulate? Why are you guys? Well, we were all, but why are we trying to emulate this when there's a broader world out there? And music was changing. I, Me and George were getting away from listening to insane clown posse because we thought that their <laughs> shit was just getting stupid, yeah. which is funny because it's always been stupid, but there was like a one record in particular that came out um, and we were just we were over it. It was yeah. done. Yeah, because it just it basically was. It just became. It got worse and worse. I don't know. Not that it could get any worse, but it did. So we broke away from that. And we were really starting to you know come into our own. Woody was buying different equipment. You got that Triton. Yeah, the the core Triton changed my life completely. That keyboard was like the most professional keyboard out there. That you could get, and I remember I forget where I was working. I think I was working at a gas station, or I was uh, I don't forget where I was working. Probably at Chevron. I think I was working at Chevron, and I did like a layaway plan on the keyboard, um, or I think my parents might have bought it for me, and I paid them back over time or something. But I, I saved up somehow and did payments on the keyboard. But and at the time it was like twenty eight hundred dollars. It was a big that shit was investment. a big purchase for for me. Oh yeah. Um, at that time. So, but the things you could do with it, you could multi-track record, you could sample, you could um, quantize. It was like a big, big, big step up. And I remember that was the same keyboard that Pharrell was using at the time, the, mm-hmm. ne- the Neptunes. And so I used to remake all the beats that I heard. Hot mm-hmm. in here. I remember remaking that and it mm-hmm. sounded the same. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I recognize all those sounds. Oh yeah, I could go and remake that beat, and so everybody was using Swiss that thing. Beats and Pharrell, and you know, there was another one too. It was there was the Triton, and the then there was Trinity, the Trinity, yeah, yeah. And that was, was always like the battle between the the Cork Triton and the Trinity. Which one's better? Which one's cooler? Yeah. So that was like that was a really big deal, and I remember you guys started coming over to my house, and we recorded in my closet. Yeah, because you went, you started going to CRI, California Recording Institute. I started going to yeah, recording school. Well, I dropped out of college technically, and I I went to this uh, recording school. But before then, I was my dad was working in IT. He he was working as um, a physician, and then he fucked up his knee, so he couldn't do that anymore. So then he started learning about computers and shit for doing IT. So he would build computers, like he would build these towers that then would be installed in doctor's offices or something for internet routing and uh, email servers and shit like that. So he would be in the other room building these computers. And I used to go to shows with him and stuff where you'd pick up hard drives and CDRs and all kinds of crazy shit. And so um, he basically just was like, yo, this is how you put a computer together. And I made my first computer with my dad. Hmm. And that's what we used to record on the computer. Yeah. Was like before I even knew about Pro Tools or, ha- or had access to Pro Tools. It was Acid 2.0, wasn't it? It was like before that. Really? Yeah, it was a, the first the first tracks that we recorded were a, it was a four track 
um, computer program hmm. that I don't even know what it was called. Weird. But you could record four tracks. So we had the beat on one track, and then it was like your vocals and... And then sometimes I would, if we wanted to do background vocals, I would have Didn't to. Didn't we do them together? Bounce everything out. Yeah, we had it was like four tracks. Yeah. So you could either bounce, like mix it, and bounce it to one, Which, and then I don't record think we ever did that. over we just... that. But yeah, I mean that was what we started recording on at my parents' house. I remember I cleaned out my closet, put some foam in there or something, mm-hmm. and then we just had a mic and great. we recorded a bunch of shit. Yeah. Tons and my of parents shit. thought we were fucking crazy. I'm yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. We were just yelling about killing people and well, yeah, and at first and rapping, just weird, <laughs> yeah, weird shit, yeah, just crazy stuff. And then that's where the goober started too. Yeah, that's when we, that's when George came up with the character OJ. And so the goobers are are uh, they're rap characters that we grew up in a, in a scene in a music scene where kind of like Ross, you were just talking about where there was like ska music, mm-hmm. punk music, rock music. And we were the kids that were sort of into everything. Yeah, we had our hands kind of dipped. I, I, me personally, I had my hands dipped in everything. Yeah, like we were listening to gangster rap music mm-hmm. and murder rap music, and then turning around, you'd listen to ska music. Yeah, and punk. We would turn around, and I would go steal my dad's Starship CD yeah. that was like pop music. Right. And then, Which, like now, you know? I feel like is the commonplace. Everybody listens. Like it you is, can't yeah. listen to you, when you yeah. talk to somebody, they're gonna and you say what kind of music you listen to? What? Everything. What? Yeah, but at the it time, didn't used to be like that. No, it's like, I listen to rock. But we were the kids that would listen to everything, and so and, and on top of that, our egos like we didn't really take our our shit seriously. No, never. We were, we were really talented, but we didn't take it seriously. Mm-mm. And a lot of the people that rapped, especially where we were from, dead ass serious. They were very serious about it, and fucking. And, I mean, honestly, and, trash, and not that great. So there was a scene up there where. We would we would you know be kids driving around smoking weed and smoking cigarettes and being stupid in the car because we finally had a car of our own that yeah. we could like escape. <laughs> yeah, go smoke weed in a go, weed smoking vessel. Yeah, and uh, you know we drive around in your Volvo and, yeah. and listen to this music. So and then we would just make fun of it because it's like oh my god, I can't. We go believe- to high school with this dude, or yeah. we know this guy and he's not yeah. gangster at all. Or, or I can't believe that this is what everybody's listening to. Right, and so we would take that. And since we had such a broad perspective on it, yeah, we would, you know, oh, we know what note this is yeah. in, or we know pick everything apart. Yeah, we would just pick it yeah. apart. And that so, sample doesn't work with that other sample. Like, can yeah. you hear the rubbing of the notes or <laughs> shit like that? Yeah. So we would go back, and um, George just thought of this character OJ. Um, that's sh- short for Orange Julius. Yep. After the Orange Julius place in the mall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And randomly uh, came up with a character, and mm-hmm. I made a beat, and we created the first Goobers yeah. song. And Goobers was like the rap group that everybody was in, right? Yeah. So you would come up with a fake alias name. Yeah. So now everybody in our crew had a fake alias. Whether you listened to punk rock and drove motorcycles, or <laughs> you know, yeah. it didn't matter who you were. You came up with a nickname. Yeah, and then you dis- you went with Gert. I went with Gert because it was like yogurt. Yogurt. Yeah. So, so when you said yogurt, it would be like yogurt. Yeah, and then it was <laughs> then it turned into yogurt because it sounds funny as shit. Yogurt. And I th- I think it was it turned into yogurt because it was uh, uh people were starting to use young, you know. Yeah. And it, before their name and rappers and shit. Yeah. So I switched it. Yeah, and it sounds funny too. That was go. So we were doing those those and at the same time I had joined a local. 
<laughs> new metal band. Yeah. Because new metal was popping off. Like new metal was at its fucking peak. This well, like actually, 2001. before that, well, I don't know. You could tell me, but so we started a real rap group too, which yeah. was Furious Minds. Furious Minds. That's the, which we, was, yeah, I, I that's think right. be, it was before, before exposure. exposure. Yeah. Yeah. So we started making music together as the Furious Minds, which was our rap group. Yep. It was me, you, and George at first. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much the same time we started doing the, because the, we would make a, a rap song that we liked. Yeah. And then we would be fucking around and do an OJ do a fake, song. a fake rap song yeah. that sounded kind of poking fun at people. Bay Area rap. Yeah. Yeah. We, and those characters, OJ and Gert, these characters kind of were like an amalgamation of people that we knew and didn't know in the Bay Area rap scene. Those characters essentially are, in my eyes, and, and Worm too, later way later on but those characters are bay area rap oh for sure and if you look at people and not to say that e 40s terrible but e 40s amazing but he's yeah. a cartoon character he is a cartoon i love E40. you know what i mean he's he's amazing yeah but he's just making up words and he's just uh, yeah he's like a he's a personality he's yeah a, he's a character bay area yeah he's cartoon ama- it's awesome and so that that whole scene kind of influenced us to to start the goobers and so and then you started in exposure, which yeah. was the metal band. So I then I joined this after we started Furious Minds. Um, we were playing some great shows with a bunch of, you know, a lot of the Bay Area people. Did, we played with RBL too, didn't we? I don't think we ended up playing with them. We we, we played some good shows. Like we played with uh, what's that one guy, the beatboxer, Rozel. Rozel from the Roots. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of the guys from Hyro. Some Living the, Legends. We, Living Legends. Yeah, we played with a lot of. Played with a lot of people. A lot there. of people. Yeah. So while we were st- while we were doing the rap group, I joined this band called Exposure, which was this rap not rap. They were like a metal band. It was like new metal. Like new metal was really popping off. It was cool. So I, loved it. I loved Exposure. It was awesome. I hate and I hated it. And I was writing the fucking songs towards the, at the you know before. I, I think that's why I song. liked it though because they had a um, they had a a sound when you joined the band that was really hard. You know. Yeah. And they were. They were trying to be. It was kind of like me and and telling you guys to not sound like ICP in a way, right? Because it's, then you get the blend of the what they were before you joined the band, yeah. And then you said, "Hey, why don't we lighten this up a little well, bit and put our own twist on it?" And then um, kind of not at first though, yeah. So I joined this band, and the reason why I joined the band is I knew the singer Brandon, who's a sweet guy. Um, I knew Brandon, and he. They they were playing this show called Not So Silent Night, which was Live 105, which is the big rock radio station. And it was a big show. Yeah, it was a huge show. All the big bands like Linkin Park and System of a Down. There was it was a huge bill. Yeah. And I had heard that there's an, there was an opportunity, or there was a chance that they they might get on the show. So I agreed to try out because I heard that that was gonna ha- that might happen. So I joined. And it happened, and we played the show. It was really a, a, a super fun and unique experience. I met the creators of Napster. I, we partied with them. Me and George partied with them all night long. It was Crazy. awesome. Yeah, it was so fun. So we did that. We partied with System of a Down. And I continued, I joined, so I, I stayed in this band for a while, and I started writing all their songs, and I took them into more of, it, be, I took them because I was, I'm a songwriter. I didn't like their songs at all. I thought their songs were trash, but I still wanted I you know, I'm a new guy in this band. I have to keep their style similar. Mm-hmm. I have to keep in the same vein. So I started to 
make it more of a bass bass and drums fronted band as opposed to the guitar playing mm -hmm. and i would pull some really shisty shit when i was on stage i would tell sound guys <laughs> to turn down the guitar player because the guitar player and i did not get along at all that was a really fucked up move that i would do that but yeah. i didn't like his playing style he didn't ever play the same thing twice and so it was just all over the place yeah the band was all over the place so i got super frustrated and i quit and just wanted and just continued to do Furious Minds with, with Woody and George. And we kept doing that. And then they kicked out John left the band, the guitarist that I didn't I had hard I had a hard time with. He left and then he they brought in this guy named this kid who was a fan of ours named Tommy Meehan, who Tommy is somebody that you're gonna hear his name again in this podcast. Tommy we still fuck with to this day. He's in this band now called the Manx. He was the composer for the TV sh the kids show Uncle Grandpa. He's done a whole bunch of composer stuff. He's he's a really talented guy and and if I hung out with him more, he'd be like I, I don't get a chance to see him, but he is one of my best friends. I love Tommy. Yeah, Tommy's amazing. Um I wish I saw him more. But anyway. So, they brought in Tommy and Tommy was like this young kid and I heard them playing and I thought they brought me into a practice. They said, "Hey, come check us check out our new guitarist and our new sound so i checked him out and they had a really good bass player that they had brought in and they asked me um we, you know we'd like to have you back not that there was anything wrong with their other bass player his bo was rank but could <laughs> 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 clear a room yeah um but they asked me to come back and i said the only way i'll come back is if we turn this band into a pop band yeah. And I remember the drummer, Luis, who's Luis Briones, he's still doing uh, drumming in, in Los Angeles. He's, he plays with a, a band called King Llama, mm -hmm. and he's doing all kinds of progressive rock stuff. Yeah, yeah. And who, who knows what else? Um, so Luis said, uh, we got to keep it real, man. And I basically, I think I said something to the extent of like, fuck you, dude. You were raised on Cyndi Lauper and Mana, you know? Yeah. So keeping it real is is doing pop tracks you fucker oh my god and that didn't sell him on it and so i said this is all my recollection it could have been something completely different but i remember saying would you rather play in front of five moshing friends of yours or a room filled with dancing girls mm -hmm. and they all said dancing girls and i said well if you want me to join that's what we're gonna do yeah and so we decided to make it more of a pop oriented band and then that's when we, Woody was getting better and better and better at recording, so we had recorded a split record. It was half Exposure and half of the Furious Minds. Yeah, which it should have been Furious Minds up front and then Exposure on the back. But but Exposure egos. was bigger than us at the time. They uh, they were they were more popular. I think, I, I, I think it, that was all perception though, because I think that we were more known in the rap community. But it, it could have been. I mean. Whatever it was, small potatoes. It, it doesn't looking, matter. Yeah. Looking back on it now, yeah, totally. But that's how we met Tommy, yeah. and then um, fast forward to me. I moved to LA about twelve years ago at this point. Well, let's go back because so we kept doing the Furious Minds. We made it into a big thirteen. Was it thirteen pieces? Yeah, it's thirteen live. Yeah, piece band. We turned it into a live band. I stopped rapping and I moved over to bass because that's where I always felt more comfortable. 
we turned into a big live band. That was a lot of fun. And we kept losing members to, you know, drug addiction and alcoholism. So we kept losing members little by little. And it always felt like we were struggling to kind of keep this thing together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still kept doing the rock group and I was doing other bands as well. I was in like a, like four, like just randomly like three or four bands at all times. Just, and then also doing other like trying but to... But when we did the the split record, we had Goober songs on there. We did, yeah. Yeah, yeah so we there was in. like fake rap songs yeah. on there. And that I feel like, that was like, the most that was, well that was received. The start. That, yeah. was, that was like really the start because yeah, it was the most well received. Yeah. We would we'd be like, what do you guys think of our album? And they'd be like, oh my God, those fake rap songs yeah. on there are yeah. amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> just a, a little more background on the on the goobers. We pretended that these characters were actually real people. Yeah. We and did. we tried to keep that facade up for a long time. And I think that people believed it. I think people really did believe it, like a lot, because I used to work with a bunch of local rappers too. Mm-hmm. They would come into the studio and right. I would make beats for them and sell beats and do you know recording sessions and shit like that. And so it wasn't out of the ordinary no. to say that these guys came. These in. guys exist, you know. Yep. They they were just some people that I work with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Woof diddy woo. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so people people had this. I don't know. I mean, it was just kind of this undertow of attention that the Goobers got from yeah, that. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Yeah. So then we, we were having troubles keeping the band, keeping the, the Furious Minds together, the rap group. Woody decided one day, the final straw was, is Woody said, I'm moving, well, you're moving to Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. So Woody said, I'm moving to Los Angeles. And that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back at that point in time, which was, for me, for me on my side, it was tough because Woody was the guy that, ran the boards. He, I would have these fucking weird-ass ideas, and I knew that Woody could facilitate some of those weird-ass ideas, and I knew that like when we were making music together, Woody would come at me with all these different tracks, and I would just slather them with guitar and bass and mm-hmm. just put my own spin on these things. And so it was a really fun working relationship. And when he... It wasn't just music either. That's how... I learned how to do everything from yeah. Photoshop and album mm-hmm. covers and yeah, flyers and oh, yeah. websites yeah. and all that shit. Yeah, totally. You know what the, I mean? And this is and w- one thing we've left out so far is is the place that we did all this stuff at was this crazy um it was a tweaker junkyard. Tweaker paradise. Yeah. It was a I mean no with just imagine a junkyard, and if you've ever seen the Goobers, the sh- our old show, then those pictures. You know, if you've seen the show, then you would know about the farm. Yeah, we, it was a junkyard did- where people lived in trailers. Mm-hmm. The guy who owned the property would rent out uh, these converted barns, chicken coops, and yeah. barns and shit that he made into music studio. That he made into music studio slash living spaces mm-hmm. slash whatever. Like, come out and get drunk and do whatever you want out of it. Yeah. So for us. Being twenty, twenty one, whatever. Yeah, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four. It was kind of like a great place to go get fucked up, make yeah. music as loud as we wanted mm-hmm. to, and just do whatever we wanted. Do whatever to. we wanted to. It was a crazy, dirty punk rock paradise. It was awesome. It yeah, it was awesome. So then, but then I moved to L.A. and then um, I got a compu- I bought a laptop. Yeah, and I started working with GarageBand, and I started making music on my own while Woody was working at the record plant. 
yeah, I was working at a interning at a studio down here. So I was walking down the hallway next to Rihanna and Kanye West. <laughs> I always love those stories too. And like, yeah, it, it's crazy to think. I remember specifically, not to get off topic, but I remember specifically when I was working at Record Plant and I was having the, one of the worst days and I was getting paid. I, I just moved to LA like six months ago. Broke as hell. I had no money. I was surviving off of free food from work, basically. And I was getting paid $7 an hour minimum wage, working like crazy hours, you know? Yeah, and you were living, were you living with uh, Leo, Leo and Dave? I was, I was living in a two-bedroom apartment with three people, or with two other people, yeah. so yeah. But it was like, I was just having a really bad day, and I remember I was washing an apple and for a client, you know, that I had to like, somebody was like, hey, can I get an apple for some reason? Washing an apple in the sink. And Kanye West is behind me in the kitchen. And I just like look at the apple and there was a sticker on the apple and the sticker had uh, Woody from Toy Story on it. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Shit sucks right now, but Kanye West is behind me. And I'm washing an apple and it's like, w says Woody on it. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's like very like serendipitous, I mm -hmm. guess. I was like, you know what? It's not that bad. Yeah. I'm doing, ex I'm exactly where I should be. Um, so that was kind of cool. But yeah. not, to, not to get off topic, but yeah. So I was in LA doing that mm -hmm. type of shit. And in the meantime, I'm up north, learning how to make beats on GarageBand, and all my bands broke up. So then I had joined. I was doing. So I decided to make beats, and I then I started doing this this vocal band with George and Brandon, who was the singer of Exposure. The, the metal band that I was in. And we started doing this three-part vocal. Um, it was like a mix between... I always wanted it to be a mix between like uh, Two Live Crew and New Kids on the Block. <laughs> that was always my idea. Was It was a split down the middle. I had all these other ideas that would have been fucking great. But it, it, was, <laughs> it was a split between the middle. And this is like early T-Pain era. This is like 2000 and what, four? Yeah. No. 2005? No, 2006, 2006, 2006, 2006, 2007. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I was doing it. And so I had this idea, like I was going to want to do this band called Finger Magic. Woody's out in LA fucking doing his thing down there. Then you meet up with Charles Hamilton. Yeah. In LA. Yep. And <laughs> I joined some shitty rock band. Yep. That's, a lot of those guys are down here now. Yeah. And, some, and they're actually like weirdly our neighbors kind of. Um, so I joined this shitty rock band called Mouth to Mouth, um, and it was really tough for me because here I am like making beats and doing my own thing, playing in the shitty rock band. So I, 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 got, I got kicked out of that band um, because I refused to, do, to play these songs. They wanted to redo songs that they had written like four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Why are we... Yeah. Right. Why are we re? Why are we learning songs that were written for a different era of music? What the fuck is this all about? Well, they're good songs. Fuck off. And then <laughs> Woody, you moved to New York, right? Yeah, I was in New York for a year, living with Charles and uh, Charles Hamilton, and making music and doing crazy shit. And then uh, Charles went crazy, a little bit, and lost his deal with Interscope. And then I moved back to LA, and I was kind of back and forth between. Living with my mom in Northern California and here 
mm-hmm. and that's when I started working in music festivals and shit like that. But um, yeah, that's when we made all the notorious B.I.G. shit. The, well, you're skipping over some shit. What? Because there was a chunk of time. Uh-huh. So I had decided that you had you'd gone back to L.A. Mm-hmm. And you were you were living with fucking some dude mm-hmm. in some weird situation. I was doing hair up in the Bay Area, and I always had kept my hands in making making beats. I got I was getting better and better uh, working on Logic, which is the Mac computer program for making music. And Woody was in this like he, you were living in that space. I don't want to draw too much attention to that, but. Yeah, it was just a crazy situation, crazy living situation. Yeah, yeah, so I had my own pad to myself up north, um, and it was great because I had a, a spare bedroom with a, a great little music studio in there. And Woody got out of that situation down in LA, and you kind of like were staying at my place for a few weeks, right? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was like, quote unquote, staying with my mom. But right. I, but I never wanted to stay there, so yeah. I would just come up and kick it with you. Yeah, and we would make music and yeah. So we were talking one day, and we were trying to figure out what kind of project we could we could work on again, and what what could we do? Oh yeah. And I had I had been listening like nonstop to this artist named RAC, which stands for I want to say it stands for Random Artist Collective. Um, he's still doing stuff now. I lo- I still listen to, to RAC. Yeah, he's, he's like dope. One of my favorite artists. He it's like this weird. It's almost like the eighties, and nineties never stopped, but like wrapped up into this like new. Yeah, he's thing. like super clean producer. Yeah, and so he did a lot of remixes at first. Yeah. Um, now he's doing his own shit, but. I said, why don't we start doing remixes? Because the remixes that RAC was doing, yeah, they were like hard flips. You know, so you'd have these songs that you would, they'd be unrecognizable when he would get them. And to me, I always felt like the RAC versions were better than the originals. Yeah. So I remember saying something to the effect of, we should do something like this. And I also was listening to a lot of the Knox too. I love the Knox. Yeah. And you said, why don't we do a whole catalog like of one artist? Yeah, yeah. And so we started Crazy. doing the. I don't even remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's, that, right. that's. I think that's like exactly how it went. Yeah. So we started doing these remixes of like we did the Kanye ones first one first, right? Yeah, we did the Kanye West remix project, which was actually it was first supposed to be a Nas project. Remember that? We started making Uchi Wally remix. Yeah. And Nas is like I think, and a couple other Nas remixes. But we couldn't find enough. But we couldn't find enough acapellas to make yeah. a whole album. And then you found all those and Kanye so, ones. I, and then I found a bunch of Kanye West ones, and yeah. I was like, you know what? Let's just do a Kanye West mm-hmm. one first. So we did the Kanye West album. Was the first one. It was like nine or ten tracks, and then put it out on the blogs, and mm-hmm. everybody picked it up. Yeah. Oh yeah. And at the time, Woody had turned me on to because Woody was big on on onto the blogs. So he would look at all the hip hop blogs all the time. So I got into that too, because the hip hop blogs really, like at that point in time, were kind of dictating where the They're where the tastemakers, yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was awesome. So I was going on deep dives into the blogs, and we put those out, and they did really good. The the Kanye ones did really well, mm-hmm. and they like a couple of them were on Hype'em. They tried on Hype'em, right? Yeah. So Hype'em or Hype what was it Hype'em.com, right? 
Hype them or hype machine. Yeah, it, it still exists. A, it pulls from it pulled from a bunch of different blogs, and they had like a, a top fifty list that was really. It was really like the TRL of mm-hmm. underground music. It was yeah. like the top list. Like yeah. if you were on that, it was at the time. It was, it was basically a, big deal. a lot of exposure that you would get yeah. from that. Yeah. But even some of the smaller, or not, not smaller blogs, but some of the blogs, they would really they were great. So I found an artist named D Brown on there. Who was this young kid from Atlanta who was doing this like sad boy singing rapping? And this is like we're talking like 2010. Yeah. So before any of the singy <laughs> sad boy rappers. I think Kid Cudi was around though. I think he was like mm. kind of in that vein, you know. Kinda. But he was yeah he was just like an emo rapper. Yeah, he was like an emo in a cool like he just had a really cool aesthetic to him. And it's the first I had ever seen of it. And he was like a nerdy that. kid. He yeah, was like nerdy, a nerdy kid. kid. He wasn't like some hardcore rapper, you know. No, and so. I, I I loved his, what he was doing in Atlanta, so I reached out to him. Oh no, you reached out to him. I did. Yeah, you did. Because I I was like, dude, you got to hear this kid. Oh, you were showing. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. You showed me a track and, and then a, I, and a I video, reached, and then I reached out to him. He's like, yo, what's yeah. up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. which was great. So that opened up. The doors to working with this kid from Atlanta, yeah. And then I ended up because of Woody opening up that door and doing a track. I ended up because Woody was too busy. I ended up doing a whole record of this sad boy suicide rap, yeah, with this kid back. I think we released the record in 2013, mm-hmm. and I didn't at the time. I didn't really care for the record just because it was so dark. And it was such a departure from what I I wanted to do as an artist. I just don't like that kind of music. <laughs> no, I, it wasn't yeah. that. I just didn't. I I liked I liked what we did. Yeah. I really did. I, I think those those beats were some of the best beats that I've made. Well, especially at that point in time. And but his, it's just not my genre, or it's not no, your genre. You no. listen to happy shit and like yeah. up, more upbeat. Yeah, because you know I, I mean, when I started making when I started making beats, I really started to fall into this. I always wanted to do stuff that was like I thought I had this envision like this vision in my head of a like a straight thugging ass rapper holding hands with his five year old daughter. Yeah. What would what does that sound like? Yeah. And to me that's I, I was trying to do that. Then you told me one day, which fucked me up, you said, Don't do that. Like uh-huh. what are you doing? Nobody nobody wants to rap over this shit. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, things change, and I, I see this could be a thing, <laughs> you know. I, I can see this whole th- in my brain. I have a, I, I'm a, my shit is all fucked. It's just funny the shit that you like remember, because I don't remember saying that to you at all. Oh I, yeah, I probably said that to you a million times. That too. changed, and like there was one time you said, <laughs> "Stop doing this bullshit." Yeah, because it was like no joke. It was fucking all the stuff I was doing was ultra corny. Yeah, but it was really cute and it was fun and it was sweet and sincere and thugging at the same time. It was this cool. I, I thought it was I wouldn't cool say thug. thugging. It was it was fucking thugging, man. I, I would say like gangster. if Martha Stewart learned how to make beats. Yeah, like, totally. That's it was how tight. It, it would sound. Yeah, it was it was fucking cute. <laughs> so, Woody said stop. And so I stopped and I started doing that's and that's when I started making all the shit for D at the same mm-hmm. time. So that came around at the same time. We're that was probably the, part of the reason too, because you had this like sad kid and you're sending him all these happy ass beats. I wasn't sending him any of those beats. I started literally, <laughs> you told me that shit. I started fucking with D, and then 
I started making beats 4D. Yeah, exactly. That were just yeah. like, because that's what he wanted was like, he was like, yeah, I want some like sad shit. And I, had, I think I had like two sad songs. So he liked them. So I just went, I went there with D. Yeah. The same time we did like the Biggie remixes, Outcasts, yep. and then all the one-offs that you did too. Yeah, the one-offs. I mean, that was like 2014, I think, or thir- 13. And uh, yeah, the the Biggie remixes like change everything. Yeah, they start getting <laughs> a lot of steam. I mean, everything. I had a goal to be number number one on Hype Machine, and when we put those out, I had it was number one, number eight, mm-hmm. and number twenty something. Yeah. It was a trip because on Hype Machine you'd see our name, and then you'd see, or your name, and then you'd see Drake. Yeah, it was just the, every other big artist yeah. that was out at the time. It was yeah. so cool. So it was like it was like that, and then a couple of really big YouTube channels put up uh, a bunch of the Biggie remixes and shit, like Majestic Casual, and uh, yeah. So the internet just embraced that project. SoundCloud was just SoundCloud going was cracking bonkers. So yeah, SoundCloud everything was just clicking at that point, and that's when I was working music festivals mm-hmm. and working Coachella, and so. Um, I guess going back to working with D Brown and that when I was making the Biggie shit with you and all the remixes is when we really started making the Goobers too. Yeah, we were making a lot of so the Goobers. Goober our friend Tommy that we were talking about earlier. Well, well you didn't get to the you, you're you're jumping ahead a little bit because we had <laughs> we did those those remixes. You were working Coachella. We played Coachella. Yeah, but we were doing Goobers cartoon shit before Coachella. No, we weren't. Really? No, we weren't. Holy shit, really? We weren't doing it at all. In fact... Whoa. Damn, I didn't know that. We weren't. So <laughs> what happened? So we played... The, the Biggie shit came out. Yeah. That got, that got me a lot of attention. Yeah. I actually landed some shit on Silicon Valley season one mm-hmm. and a couple other licensing, cool licensing things. So I ended up quitting music festivals, basically. Like mm-hmm. what I was doing at the time for right. Co- Coachella, I quit. And... Um, I they were like, "Do you want to play? Mm-hmm. You know, you can open one of the stages." And I was like, fucking, "Yeah, because we were yeah, <laughs> we were fucking trending on SoundCloud. Yeah, we were like, trending everywhere. Yeah, it was insane." And so they they said, "Yo, you want to just play?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" So I was like, "Ross, we're gonna play Coachella." And you were just like, "Fuck, this is crazy." Yeah, <laughs> we were just freaking out. And so, um, yeah, so we played Coachella in 2014. Mm-hmm. And then we were on BuzzFeed and shit, yeah. and like all over the place. It was yeah. wild, dude. And we said, I, I have this memory. Maybe in my head, I'm just like making things up, but I remember being on stage and I remember you saying to me, like, what do we do now? Like, this is like, here we are. Yeah. What, what's next? And that's when Tommy was doing Uncle Grandpa. Yeah, our buddy Tommy, who was in the band with you. Yeah. He was working at Cartoon Network. He was in Exposure with me. And then, yeah, yeah, he was working at Cartoon Network. Then he got the composer gig for Uncle Grandpa. Yeah. So there was all these cool ties in with with Cartoon Network. Yeah. So actually, one day when I left Coachella, I I went, left Coachella and went to Cartoon Network and fucked around on the Uncle Grandpa floor. Yeah, that's right. That day. It was great. Um, But I remember, because all that shit was cracking off and. We realized that the only way where we were going to be able to make OJ and Gert into a, a thing, because we always, these characters were so fun. We were always doing OJ and Gert songs, Goober songs. Um, we, re- we realized the only way this would be a thing is if we made them cartoon characters. Yeah. So I remember, 
and like I said, this might just be my brain just no. You're probably spot on. Creating I story. Just, I don't remember any of this shit. But I remember <laughs> what are we gonna do now? Was let's fucking let's make the cartoon. Yeah. Because it was we could see we had these ties to Cartoon Network. We understood where we needed to take these characters, and it doesn't get any fucking bigger than Coachella. Well, so, you got to think about what for me personally, right? Like what I set out to do. I was like, I'm gonna move to L.A. And my main goal is to get a placement on a major album, mm-hmm. like a like a industry album, you know. Yeah, and, and you did, and I did, and it really wasn't what I wanted to do at no. all at that point. So like, I had, I had essentially, I wasn't rich or didn't have a ton of money, but I crossed off almost every bucket item that I had on my list. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was like. Like music took me to Europe. Mm-hmm. Like I played something on a major label. We got to play Coachella. Mm-hmm. My shit was blowing up on SoundCloud. Yep, it was like a peak in a way where I kind of realized we played Coachella and I played a festival after that. Yeah, you did in New York. In New York, mm-hmm. and then I kind of realized like, well, I don't know if I really want to do this. Well, we I don't. Were- I don't know if this is something that I want to like do. Yeah, you know what I mean for like my lane type shit for the rest of my life no sort of stuff and being a i mean i, I hate to just because i'm sure there's it was awesome yeah but, but I, and, and what i'm thinking like what i'm trying to say like being a touring musician is a tough lifestyle yeah it is it um is. it's pretty gross and grimy and it can be it can be and especially and i think that you it lends itself to that so doing that is kind of a i don't know it, it depends on your personality. Yeah, it does. You know, it depends on again, like what you want to do. And for me, for me too. I just, uh, I don't know. I just didn't want to do it. It was mm-hmm. weird. It was a very weird, odd thing. It's very odd when you, you have seen so many of your idols in the in the studio. You know what I mean? I'm like in with T Pain while he's like working on his album, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing Chris Brown's backup singer do all his background vocals, and I'm seeing how things are threaded together in the industry. And I'm hearing Kanye West like record Love Lockdown in mm-hmm. the studio that's like in the other room. Yeah. And so you you kind of get it's it's like a numbness or like you just mm-hmm. get used to it. Yeah. So you get to a certain point where you're just like, damn, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. What's next? And that's yeah. probably why I said that. I was like, damn, okay, so we play Coachella. Like, what are we gonna do? What now? are we gonna do? Yeah. So yeah, the, and that's when we decided. I I pretty much we always George had said. He was the one that always said, the only way these characters are going to go any further, these rap characters, is if we do them a cartoon. And yeah. I remember being on stage at Coachella and saying, fuck it, let's do the cartoon now. Yeah. And that's when we got back together with, we, we got together with Tommy, and you and Tommy and Colin, I believe, too, was there, maybe Colin wasn't there, I can't remember. What? But you guys were, fu- you started doing the prime, like the character That was me designs. and Tommy, yeah. Yeah, you that and Tommy. That was just me and Tommy. Yeah. But- Remember that I remember before we were at your place in Northern California, right? And Colin was there when we did the first drawings without Tommy, because Tommy was like, "You should turn these into a cartoon." Mm-hmm. I work for Cartoon Network, you know. I can show you kind of how things are pitched. Oh, and the shit. first drawings, right? And we have—they weren't even drawings, but yeah. But the first sort of idea they of, were, of what it was in that yeah. format—not just our fake rap names mm-hmm. and rap songs and stuff. The look, but. What it was going to be about and what it, the right. look was and shit like yeah. that. A like, ball in the cylinder. Yeah, it was really bad drawings, but <laughs> Colin had put them in in frames like to make it a movie. Oh yeah, like I a play, drew, I, yeah, I drew those out. A playable movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, animatic, right? Anima- yeah. Animatic, yeah. <laughs> and so um, that was the first rendition. And yes. so I think when we played Coachella, we already had that concept 
in our brain of what it was going to be based yeah. off of that, those terrible drawings and that yeah. terrible It animatic. was right around that same time. So we were like, yeah, Tommy, awesome. You work at Carson Network and you know people at Nickelodeon and shit. Like, let's do this. So Tommy introduced us to his buddy, Stephen Chun, who is an awesome illustrator. He's worked on Rick and Morty and a bunch of shows, Animals on HBO and shit. And uh, he drew the first characters for us of OJ and Gert and all the characters, Worm and Gary and all the characters we had in our cartoon show mm-hmm. called The Goobers. Yeah. And then Colin learned, essentially taught himself how to animate. Yeah. And it was really, I mean... It was it's, basic. The thing with doing shit is you just have to do yeah. what you're trying to do. Yeah. I want to make an animated TV show just start mm-hmm. because the first stuff we did was so bad. Yeah, it was bad. The second stuff we did was better, mm-hmm. better, 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 better. And yeah. it got to a point where it was almost a fully, it was almost in fully animated professional looking show. Yeah. When and, we stopped doing the Goobers. Right. And I think that the like, next iteration yeah. of it, if we would have kept doing the cartoon, the next iteration would have been a f- pretty fleshed out. Yeah. Real, it, it was pretty fucking. Yeah, because Colin well killed it. He like learned how to animate. Yeah, you and, know what I mean. And then, and then between John, these uh, these other guys we had working with, Mike Essa, mm-hmm. these guys that were doing a lot of the visual gags and and putting together these animatics. Yeah, we had a nice little team. Yeah, tight. and they were some of the visual gags were fucking great. That was awesome, but it was a it was kind of an accumulation of everything that we'd done. Up until that point, yeah. because I think it, the same reason the songs worked of the Goobers that we were making, it was it's our perspective that makes it yeah. cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're just two white kids from the suburbs mm-hmm. that started making rap music. Yep. And the reason we started making rap music was because we think it's funny that other people are taking themselves seriously making rap music because well, yeah. it's, because rap music at its core is very basic the chords in it yeah. the structure of the songs and we st- we, and all, we, we, we look at it from the outside looking in yeah. and we could just break it down because we're listening to Coheed and Cambria right. and other rock shit or whatever just multi-genres of music so we can it's not our whole life and our identity so mm-hmm. we can kind of poke fun at it right. but be good at it at well yeah because we could see you it know? from a weird we had a Different really perspective. strange perspective yeah yeah and because I was always in the rap world and I was doing rock bands, I was seeing these weird correlations between like egos between yeah. rappers and the same. and metal bands. Same. It was very strange, especially in metal bands for some reason. Yeah. It was like the ego and the arrogance of hard metal bands were the same ego and arrogance that I would see with a lot of rappers. Well, Not all rappers, just, but it's the same as society. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's just egos and tribes and shit. Yeah. You know, it's it's like a mammal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah. a, a mammal community. Yeah. Where you have one mammal that ruffles his feathers and then mm-hmm. every, everybody looks at it. I'm going to ruffle my feathers too. Right. And dye my hair red and yeah. fucking whatever. And, and then you know? some of those feather, those people that were ruffling their feathers because the other guy's ruffling his feathers just so happened those feathers were just broken and there was three <laughs> feathers and they were a yeah. uh, strange color and they just yeah. didn't get it. Yeah. But they still thought they were the fucking shit. The they thought they were the best. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's how the goober started. And then we essentially started making the show on our own. Yeah. And then we did uh, a music video called Chocolate. Yeah. With our friend. So while that was going on, I was also doing a YouTube channel where I, I, cause I, I watched, I watch a lot of YouTube and I started, um, I started befriending, I started, watching these YouTubers that I liked a lot and I started befriending these guys 
and it, I kind of developed a little community of people and like other YouTubers and things like that. So there was this one cat that reached out to me and I reached out to him. It was this guy named Justin who was, uh, he had this channel called, uh, I think it's changed names, but it used to just be Monster Films mm-hmm. with a weird spelling. And he was creating these little tutorial videos of him making these art pieces out of cardboard mm-hmm. and doing different characters. So we decided to work with him and he helped us build these cardboard box heads. And he did the first two iterations of them, didn't he? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Was it the first two or the first? It was. Yeah, it, but, was, it was the first yeah, two. Yeah, but even before that, we were trying to figure out how to ease the burden of animation. Well, because things, I don't think things started to fall apart, but I think we, we lost one of our, like John, we stopped working with John or something. Mm. And so we were like, how, how, do we do, how do we do this Yeah, without a piece of our team, you know? Yeah. So we were trying to think of the easiest way to make something creative. And that's when Colin was learning, like he was so good at, at After Effects, the program that he was animating in, that he he was like, oh, I'm, uh, and he was doing that other show at the time where he oh, was putting yeah. the faces on fruits and mm-hmm. donuts and shit like yeah. that. And so he was like, oh, well, we could just do like a live thing. If we get costumes, we could do the eyes on them. And we kind of just all came up with this idea of live action. I mean, you were saying, let's do live action cross yeah, I always, I, I always thought, because I knew that I wanted the show when we first started to have a specific and weird aesthetic to it. And I always felt like if we were to do a mixed media cartoon, it would have a, a certain pop off of the screen. And, and I always thought if we decided to, to dress us up as characters, also make, I felt like if we were to make little um, figurines of the characters and, and dioramas, I always wanted to do dioramas. I thought dioramas. Mixed media. Yeah. yeah. So doing like a really heavy mixed media and even like from, from cut to cut, Going from characters, you know, uh, the characters in model form walking down the way, and then the next cut would be them animated. Mm-hmm. Just the only thing cohesive about it would be the color scheme. So I always thought that would be a really cool, specific look doing mixed media stuff. This is all arguable because I was shit on for actually saying that I was one of the people that wanted to go in that direction. Which yeah, I mean, I think me I'd, I'd still shit on you for that. Well, you shit on me for it, but you're not the one. So you did, yeah. Everyone, sh- it was, it was not, it was not because I don't think you, well, I don't think I you explain yourself no, properly. No, when I you have ideas. Yeah, it's, you say blah blah blah. Yeah, when I so whenever I'm like, I have what an the idea, fuck are you talking about if I have an idea, it's when it comes out, it comes out as one big diarrhea. It's I can't get the words out of my mouth fast enough, and <laughs> things don't really make any sense. Even when I'm talking about lines on, on a script. Yeah. Like it, it's just, it doesn't, there's no, there, it's just a, a big old, and then, yeah. So I was trying to explain this mixed media bullshit and never went over. But then I met this guy, Justin, Monster Films, who was doing the, those box heads. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this guy's perfect. We should bring this motherfucker into the fold because he can help, like he's doing an element of where I thought we should go. Yeah. So we teamed up with him and we did this the video Chocolate. And it was a collaboration yes. between us and him. It was just supposed to be a one-off thing. Yeah. And then um 
we were initially going to do just the boxes, and then Colin was like, "Oh, I could put animated faces on there." And right. Like, oh, tight. You know. So we did the first tracking test on a blank cardboard box. I remember that. Yep. And then, uh, and then we did a, a video. It was awesome. And from that video, we ended up getting a production deal mm-hmm. uh, with a production company, and we went through a little bit of production hell. A lot of production hell. It was a th- honestly that and was one of the toughest. That's why I moved to Los Angeles. But that was one of the toughest moments in my entire life. And our relationships, not not me and you, like we always stayed cool. Yeah, yeah. But my relationship with one of the creators, it was me, George, Woody, and Colin. One of our relationship with one of the people involved um, got really fractured, and and unfortunately, like it's. It's not beyond repair because I'm still, you know, I, I let bygones be bygones and I want to move forward and I, I don't want to hang on to resentment and yeah, anger me neither, and frustrations. For sure. So, but there, it, our relationship at the time got so fucking frustrated because the way the production deal is, I don't have a manager. Nobody's got managers. Well, and let's, the way let's put that, it this way. I don't think that any of us knew what the fuck we were doing no. or getting into. Yeah. So the first time, you know, you go from... You go from making a cartoon that looks like shit yeah. to getting a little bit better to not making a cartoon at all. That's this mixed media thing that we did on a one-off that turned mm-hmm. out to be really cool. Yeah. And then it gets turned into a production deal. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're working with the creator, the guy who created America's Funniest Home Videos that wants to put you on. Yeah. You know, the biggest show ever, America's Funniest Home Videos, wants to support your show. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. So we go into this thing. We signed some paperwork that probably wasn't accurate to how it should have been as far as like the creators. Because the way we signed it, like, oh, we can only have two people that created the show. Yeah. If it's more than that, we're not going to be able to, it's like politics and shit. Right. That we're involved with it. And so the way that it happened and just us not knowing anything no. created a lot of hostility yeah. and miscommunication. It and, did. And different shit between all of us. Yeah. And like, it, when it comes to that shit, that's why you always hear about, you know, NWA breaking up, mm-hmm. or you know, musicians and production companies, yeah, and like or bands, all of these things because it's yeah. all a communication-based thing. Yeah, and it's a numbers thing, and and there's always people that are going to get more of a chunk of the pie than you are, like than somebody else because of the the create the who created what and yeah, all that stuff. It's all was, hearsay. It's all hearsay. It was all lost, and 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 not and not only the the money, like the money is whatever for me. It's always going to be. The it's always going to. It's always going to play a role. Right. The, mo- the money is, but it's more so the, the back end, right? Like we get in a situation where we've never been in this situation before. We don't know how to make a show. Mm-mm. They're telling us we need writers and we need mm-hmm. celebrities attached to it and, and whatever. And so it's like, who do you trust at a mm-hmm. point, right? Because you have production people. You have the people that have done this before. Mm-hmm. You know, they do this professionally, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. They do this all the time. Yeah. They. Do, I mean, that's. That's what, That's what they, they do, do for a living. Mm-hmm. And so they're telling you one thing, but there's a creative line where it's like, this is our vision, what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And then it gets crossed because mm-hmm. we want to keep it clean. We want to do it for kids. We want to mm-hmm. do it for adults. We don't want to be whatever, right? And we were always open to doing kind of whatever. But we, Yeah, but that was a problem. But there was no clear definition of what yeah. it was. And so they essentially, we went through this crazy year where year and a half where we were getting pitched to major networks by CAA mm-hmm. we had 
a lot of shit going for us. And it just, it's crazy. It just was in production hell and we got in a bunch of fights with the production company. And yeah. it ended with me essentially saying, I'm not going to re-record my lines because I don't want to do it. Yeah. And No, it wasn't it, just because there was some really, honestly, like there was jokes that were in there that were, so, that every, all the jokes were so bad anyway. Yeah. Com- comedy just, is subjective, but. It was just bad. It was bad and it was, it had gone in a direction that was so bad that there's no way that any of us were, would have been comfortable. Well, not all of us, but the people. That, I mean, it, it's. Not, I don't want. It's like it's tough because it's like I, I. don't know what to. It's it's hard to like dance around this it's shit. It's a difference of opinion. That's it was all, a different exactly. All it like, Everybody liter- had the literally. Same. It's like the like I was talking about. You have a creative vision for something, and then you have money behind it, and and people who don't aren't inside your brain. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've been collaborating with you so long that like. I could just look at you and you would know like right. oh but I'm doing is cool on the guitar yeah. and whatever you or, know or cut it yeah yeah but so even like, still like with us like cuz we were talking about so anyway the goobers is no longer we had to totally f- flatten it and it's done yep. it's finished unfortunately we really loved those characters and we really loved what we did and I'm I'm actually thankful it didn't go in the direction like I'm thankful we didn't get the deal mm-hmm. you know or it didn't sell the show it's it's for the it was for the better but I was we were talking the other day when we were walking, getting coffee, and I said about the because we're working on a new project, we're trying to fold over some of the the great ideas that we had um, into something different. And I said to you, I said, as long as the core of what we were trying to do with the goobers stays the same, that's great. Mm-hmm. And I said that the core of the show was to teach kids that you can make great art with nothing. And you were like, well, I don't know. I didn't realize that's what it was about. Uh, not at all. And I, I thought that was what we were doing the whole time. Well, it might have been, but you never actually said that. I didn't say a lot of things. <laughs> like, I, because I, I thought you in my brain. never actually said that. Well, and, and it's funny because, like, even there were certain things that I thought in my brain about the goobers to bring laws in, in certain kind of physics and dynamics. Into the universe, I thought. But it, there was a lot of different things we thought about the yeah. universe. It was all over the place. But I thought. That, I guess. I guess the the thing that this whole episode is about, in my opinion, is how how things happen to get here. But also, I th- I'm a firm believer that everything that happens in your life leads up to something. Yeah. You know, it's preparing you for something. And yeah. so, from my perspective, it was like. Being in bands growing up mm-hmm. and running through that gauntlet of learning how to promote shows and you know like meeting everybody and being part of a music scene and learning Photoshop and making flyers and album covers and websites and shit like that mm-hmm. prepared me to move to Los Angeles mm-hmm. to then work at a recording studio and like be around the elite people that I was around and then be in the industry in the thick of it and then utilize like use those skills in that atmosphere you know what i mean cuz i was making flyers and doing all kinds of shit when i was making music for them then you i learned how to make music there and it, that brought me into like making music for tv shows and stuff like that and i swear to god like we would make etbh albums which were essentially noise albums yeah like noise like shitty noise albums like yeah. that was great it was crazy right yeah that was what i did to- i paid you 80 bucks to do that I remember that because yeah. I was just so against it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like learning that, like doing that, going through that was how I made music for the Alien trailer. Huh. 
that was how I that was how I learned yeah. how to do that kind of shit. Yeah. So when I sat down and I was talking to my my buddy JC, and he was like, "You should just make some really weird shit." And I was like, "I know how to make really weird shit yeah. because Ross paid me eighty dollars to 80 bucks. record his noise album yeah. back in two thousand seven or whatever yeah. the fuck." And so I sat down and made a bunch of weird shit, and it ended up in the Alien trailer. God, that fucking record was so funny. So like, yeah, like. I, it all leads up to something. All the stuff we went through with the goobers, yeah. all this, the remixes we did, uh, the playing Coachella, mm-hmm. all of these things have added up to a point right now where we'll see what happens. All we need is a character designer. All we need is a character designer. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, so, yeah, I, there's a lot of unsos and likes in this episode. There are. There is. Uh, Thank you for listening. You can check out Ross online at Roscoe Soul Train. That's R-O-S-S-C-O-S-O-L-E-T-R-A-I-N. Holler at me at Super Tight C-O on all social media. I will catch y'all in the next one. Thank you for listening. Peace.